0: Hello everybody, I said it a second ago, the microphone was muted, this is like the second podcast of the last four that happened, but this time, (laughs) like last time, we're gonna roll with it. Welcome to the Association NBA Podcast. Today, a very special holiday-themed episode, Tommy Wood and I are standing beneath the mistletoe, Uh, maybe that's not the right, maybe we (laughs) are, maybe we aren't. If the mistletoe is NBA-themed, then I will stand under there all day long and wait for my good buddy Tommy Wood to join me. We're talking about the Christmas Day games and what they hold for us. My name is Sam Ruthier. I'm excited to talk to you about some basketball with the gentleman whose name I've already mentioned a couple of times, my man T-Bone. T-Bone, are you in the holiday spirit?
1: Yeah, man, we've got uh, got the tree up, got it stocked with presents. And just one more day to get through before the four-day holiday weekend, and uh, it can't come soon enough.
0: It really can't. So for you, uh, somebody who works the traditional 9 to 5, Monday, Friday, more or less, I know that your hours can be a little earlier, a little later, this or that, uh, today is Thursday, December 20th. For me, I have a more slightly non-traditional schedule, but I also only have one day before my holiday break comes because I, I plan my vacation days beautifully, so... Uh, tomorrow you'll get it out of the way. Saturday, I'll get it out of the way. Either way, Christmas is very close to the point where you're really going to plan those Amazon shipments carefully to make sure that uh, they're actually going to get there before Tuesday. But either way, here we are, and not only Tuesday will we be taking a hard look under the, the tree to just get real pony on you real fast, but we'll also be flipping it to ESPN and then ABC, and then depending on... For me, how late I'm up and how many drinks I've had, back to ESPN, because (laughs) there's five games on Tuesday, December 25th. NBA has just decided that they're going to own Christmas, and I love it. And they have five games, and at least three of them, as I count, maybe four, depending on how you feel, are pretty good, if not marquee matchups. So today we've decided we're just going to devote it to previewing them for you, so you know what to expect, who to watch, what games to watch, and... Uh, A little wrinkle on my end, at least, if not for yours as well, T-Bone. I figure we'll kind of talk about at what point during our Christmas day this game is going to come up and what we might be facing when we're trying to watch this game. But there's a lot to get to. We're going to start right at the top. The first game of the day, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, 10 o'clock Mountain Time. You'll just be opening those presents and, and throwing back the first eggnog double whiskey. Uh, it's <laughs> milwaukee at the new york knicks at the madison square garden and oh my god what kind of favors do the new york knicks owe the nba office possibly sexual possibly life debts to get the knicks on the christmas day slate
1: yeah maybe james dolan was going into adam silver's office and playing his guitar just giving <laughs> him a D sweet serenade, like adam please please put us <laughs> on christmas you know, made a little uh, little bluesy jingle bells with uh, J.D. and the straight shots.
0: I mean, what do you think is the reasoning rationale behind putting New York on a Christmas Day game? Do you think it's just the allure of the garden having a game in New York? Do you think the league thought New York was going to be something that they're not? Um, or do you think this is just purely pandering to one of the biggest markets and it's just tradition?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's mostly the latter. I think it's the Knicks. You know, they're a big name; uh, they're one of the biggest brands in the NBA. And uh, yeah, giving them this game at home, uh, putting it in the Garden, which always inexplicably has a great atmosphere, despite uh, you know how terrible the Knicks have been for uh, seemingly decades now. Uh, yeah, it seems like uh, kind of a ratings ploy um, because I don't think anyone in the NBA office expected the Knicks to be good this year. Um, so when they were, when, when they were making this schedule, um, you know, you see the, like, you know, the Lakers are on here as well. Uh, and I, I, uh, I, I imagine the Lakers would have been on here ha- even if they hadn't gotten LeBron James in the off season, you know, for the same reason the Knicks are, are on this schedule. Yep.
0: I, I think you're right. I think there's certain teams that are just, uh, in a in a position to show up on the marquee regardless of what the roster looks like i mean we've seen like you just mentioned the knicks for several years and even the Le- lakers for a fair number of years still appear in national games even though their rosters have not deserved it um now patience paid off at least for the lakers um for the knicks we'll see if if patient does pay off next year when uh, supposedly kevin durant should be calling uh, or or people just get bored and speculate which is probably what that is but either way um we have what we have and what we have are the Milwaukee Bucks who thankfully are one of the best teams in the NBA this year playing the Knicks who like you just mentioned like we just spent some time talking about are very bad they're 9 and 24 they're one of the worst teams not just in the Eastern Conference but in the league but Milwaukee is only a game and a half out of first place they're 21 and 9 they feature the presumptive and VP candidate in Giannis Antetokounmpo. What kind of things will you be looking for, player-wise, matchup-wise, when this game is on? As you're enjoying your third, fourth cup of coffee on Christmas Day.
1: Uh, well, I mean, really, it's it's gonna be a Christmas feast for Giannis because the Knicks have absolutely nobody who is capable of even slowing him down. Um, you know, you just look at this roster and it's just You know, they they pretty much play below average defenders at every position. Um, And there's nobody, you know, at the point of attack or uh, in help defense who is going to be able to come meet him at the rim. And I think he's going to have a monster game.
0: Poor Mitchell Robinson and Kevin Knox are about to be embarrassed in a serious way because they're both in a position where they kind of have to be playing significant minutes right now this roster without Chris Datz, Porzingis is just a little light on the front court. So those guys are going to be out there and they're going to get embarrassed because in terms of size alone, they're going to be, if not matched up against Giannis, um, they're going to end up meeting him at the rim. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> and I like Mitchell Robinson as a defensive prospect quite a bit. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, he's, and I think he's actually had a pretty good defensive season for, for a rookie. Yeah, um, man. but, uh, he's been hurt. Um, the past couple missed their game against uh, Philadelphia, yep. and uh, so we don't we don't know if he's going to be back for Christmas. Um, and if he's not, uh, with him out, good God, the uh, yeah the Knicks lately have been starting a front court of Enos Kanter and Noah Vonleh. Oh,
0: um, that's just a uh, that's strong.
1: Yeah, that's 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 rough. At least <laughs> you know at least Enes can go in there and get some offensive rebounds and and talk mad shit, um, but. <laughs> But that's about the best they can expect from that. Um, you know, this is this has been a pretty they thing thing about the Knicks this year is they have been feistier than you know I would have expected. Um, you know, I think part of that you know has to do with with David Fisdale actually coming in and you know giving them a real uh, you know a real identity uh, you know that they just did not have under uh, Jeff Hornacek. Um Part of that is, you know, Emmanuel Moutier improving from, uh, you know, maybe the worst rotation player in the league to uh, just an average player like we've talked about before. Um, But, yeah, Feisty is about, like, the nicest thing you can say about them this year.
0: I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Um, Quick poll. Do you know off the top of your head how old Enos Cantor is?
1: Uh, I think he's still pretty young. I, I would guess, like, 26.
0: Yeah, on the money, um, which surprises me because this is his third team, and every team he's been on, I feel like he's had some kind of impact. Of course, the Thunder, w- you and I, and and probably others, uh, always remember Camp Lake Hunter. He was a piece, but he was not a piece in the playoffs. Uh, the Jazz, I mean, he had an identity as well, and I guess that's probably where he got drafted. I honestly don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah.
1: they took him third overall, actually. And what? N- yeah. I think not a lot of people remember he was committed to Kentucky for under John Calipari. Um, but I think there were eligibility issues because he had already played professionally in Turkey. So he ended up sitting that season out. Um, but he he, that, he did still enter the NBA uh, really young. Um, so, yeah, he's been this is his eighth year in the league, even though he is, again, only only 26. Um, and it's, you know, it he's always been kind of a weird player. He's, he's taken a lot of crap obviously for his, uh, you know, stone footed defense and right, rightfully so. But at the same time, he has always been a really, really effective finisher at the rim and one of the best offensive rebounders in the game. Um, and, uh, he, like, like I said, he's, he's one of my favorite shit talkers. Uh, I just, I just love guys who, I just love guys who chirp and, uh, he does that pretty effectively. Um, and on a, on a totally unrelated note, I respect the hell out of him for the, uh, you know, the political stances he's taken against the authoritarian regime in his home country at, uh, at great personal cost. You know, they, they imprisoned yeah. his dad to shut him up. And uh, he, you know, he, he kept speaking out. So you obviously have to give him props for that. Um, this is probably more than we uh, ever thought we were talking about in his canter. But uh, I, that's what happens when Next play on christmas day
0: this is uh this is how you fill minutes when you're forced to talk about the net the the Knicks, Nets. Bleh, wrong new york team um you just talk about people you find interesting personally um that draft is pretty much the last draft i barely paid attention to because i started getting really into the nba like immediately after um but that draft is freaking loaded real quick to just to just jump there ah, because holy, i holy i have never really looked at it that closely um Kawhi went 15th, Clay went 11th, Kemba went ninth. Kyrie,
1: Kyrie was
0: first overall. Um, it throughout like it's it's.
1: Tobias Harris was 19th.
0: Nary a full on like like uh, miss like yeah, everybody Mir- plays Nicole good Mirotic. minutes. Miritich, Tristan Thompson who hasn't lived Jimmy up Butler. to fourth overall. Jimmy was yeah Jonas Valanciunas I mean has played good minutes for Toronto. Um, Bismack yeah, Biyombo. Bogdan Alec Burks, who probably went too high. Markeith and Marcus Morris
1: went back-to-back. That's crazy. Uh, Etwan Moore, 55th overall. Whoa! Oh, my and, God. Uh, and Isaiah Thomas. Kenneth Farid. Mr. Irrelevant. That's, huh? that, yeah, that's a – wow. I'm glad you mentioned that because this is – I did not realize how loaded this draft was either. My favorite
0: uh, player, Reggie Jackson. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and Jan Vesely in the, in the top
0: yeah, 10. Yeah, Jan Vesely was a miss. Oh, my God. <laughs> Norris Cole, that was the pick. No, he played with LeBron for a year before he left Miami. Yeah. I was going to say that was yeah. the Connecticut pick, but the Connecticut pick was uh, fucking Shabazz.
1: Shabazz Napier. Yeah, Jimmer Fredette going one draft. pick before Clay Thompson. Oh, my that,
0: God, Jimmer.
1: That, that didn't age well.
0: Jimmer was part of the reason I started to like basketball. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> That's the truth. You know I own a Jimmer jersey. Chandler Parsons in the second round.
1: Nick Vucevic. This is a crazy a draft. I on Schumpert as well. Just a lot of solid players.
0: All right. T Bone, we gotta wow. we gotta bring it back in. We lost a couple uh listeners. <laughs> All right. Uh so besides the fact that Giannis is just gonna dominate and possibly drop sixty, is there anything else you're looking for in this Milwaukee New York Knicks game?
1: Um, you know, and again, uh I think Brooke Lopez uh, could I, is also a guy who I'd be looking to have a big game Yeah, uh, you know Giannis's pick and roll or pick and pop partner because Lopez does very little rolling these days um, but again when you have uh, you know a, when you're playing Enes Cantor at center he's just not equipped to get out there and cover a guy like Brooke Lopez who's been bombing from you know 28 feet this year um, so I you know and even even when a center can get out and contest him Lopez is so tall and he has a 7 foot 6 wingspan um he's so long and he has such a high release on his jumper it's just impossible to to get a good contest on him and he's just he's really made himself into an elite three point shooter um you know Jonathan Charks of the Ringer had a great article about it today where he highlighted Just some of the ridiculous difficulty of some of the attempts Lopez is taking. I mean, he takes a lot of step back threes. He takes the those sidestep threes where a guy will come uh, to close out on him and he'll pump fake and take his one dribble to the side and then and then fire away. Um, It's it's really impressive, and for a guy who has never been the most, uh, he's never just looked you know fleetest on his feet. He's never you know really had a lot of uh, really. uh, just a lot of craft or, or swiftness to him to be able to pull off dribble moves like that is, is really impressive. Um, so he's another guy I would think could have a really big game on Christmas.
0: It's wild to see him taking almost seven three pointers a game. That's just nothing like, I mean, he was an all-star and one of the most valuable centers in the league, unfortunately, just as like a, a trade piece for a while, because the Nets just hung on to him. But um, to see him transition his game to that is crazy. And especially you mentioned like the step backs, like, high degree of difficulty shots. That's just really cool. And it's something that we've seen with him, with Al Horford, with Marcus Saul. These guys have embraced this era of stretching the floor, and they're just so skilled that they're able to pull it off. And they've transitioned mid-career to being able yeah. to make these shots, not just with nobody around, but with a hand in their face, on the move, not just set, getting the ball right in their perfect spot. It's really cool, and it's especially awesome to see Brook Lopez leave the Lakers and not be at the value you would hope he would be as somebody who was really highly valued at his position just a couple years earlier. Uh, Catch on with Milwaukee and show his skills off in more ways than one, and something
1: tells me his next contract is going to be worth a lot more than this one. Yeah, yeah. They, they got him for a steal at, at $3.3 million. It's crazy. I mean, he came into the league as, as a pure post-up guy. Yeah. Uh, he didn't even make a three until his seventh season. Um,
0: Holy shit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, even uh, three years, or I guess, yeah, four four years ago, 2015-16, uh, he shot 14% from three, and he took uh, – of his shots from downtown the next year, his last year in Brooklyn, he took, uh, 33% of his shots from downtown and he shot 35%. And then his, uh, it jumped up to 41% of his shots were three pointers last year. He made again, 35% and now 70% of his shots are threes. That's just an (laughs) absurd transformation in a really short amount of time. Four years ago, the guy was taking 12, percent of his attempts from three and now it's 70 percent uh I mean he has really become just a pure shooter who happens to be seven feet tall
0: that honestly like that really puts it out for you in a way that like I didn't even realize like for him to be that thoroughly committed to getting away from the basket being that far away really taking that many of his shots like I never would have guessed man 70 percent is huge and that really just happened this season. I mean, last year he was taking more. I mean, last year his game high was he had taken nine threes in a game. Um, but Jesus to really be spending that much time away from the paint and still be succeeding and be a valuable player on the court. Like he's a huge part of Milwaukee's success this year. That's freaking. Um, I guess, I I guess his last year in Brooklyn, really, you could see it too. He was already taking five threes a game. Um, so it's, it's been over a three-year span, but I guess there's just more of a spotlight on it now since Milwaukee's been one of the best teams in the NBA so far. Okay, let's just jump straight to the next game because uh, so that's that's noon for me. That's 10 for you. That's just the morning. Honestly, I mentioned that you were probably on your, your third or fourth cup of coffee. I'm, on, I'm probably on my seventh or eighth. Uh, <laughs> my family just rolls through coffee on Christmas Day. Coffee and cinnamon buns. And my mom makes cinnamon buns every year. They're spectacular. I wake up to a cinnamon bun and several cups of coffee. And then I eat more cinnamon buns and, and I drink several more cups of coffee. And then I'm just wired on sugar and caffeine. And then it's the early afternoon and I have no idea what to do myself with myself. But this year I do know what to do. I will turn on the Oklahoma City at Houston game because... That's a pretty good matchup. That's, first of all, one of the best teams in the NBA, actually. Uh, Oklahoma City Thunder have one of the better records. They've been playing really well lately. Paul George has been playing perhaps the best basketball of his career. Um, and Houston has turned it around. They've been playing really well lately. Uh, I think they have a bit of a win streak. I don't know the exact total off the top of my head. I think it's four or five games. Um
1: uh, five games.
0: And James Harden has been playing incredible, like the incumbent MVP that he is. So, this is going to be a matchup. Um, I'm excited to watch this at 3 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Mountain Time. Um, I, I'm guessing you are as well. What are you looking forward to about this matchup?
1: I think this will be pretty telling, uh, you know, in terms of Houston, as we're trying to suss out whether this five game win streak is. You know, is indicative of what they're gonna look like for the rest of the season um, this is the second five game win streak they've had this year um they had one uh back in in November uh, and you know that was after they had started the season out struggling and the conversation then was well they won five games in a row now they've they've turned it around um but then they proceeded to lose uh seven of their next nine before this current five-game win streak that they're on um so i i think it'll be really interesting to see um you know what they can do against the the best defense in the league now and and this this current win streak they're on it has been against really solid competition i mean they've beaten uh portland the lakers uh memphis the Jazz and and Washington. So that maybe that last one not so solid. Well, I but, mean
0: all potentially playoff teams, right? Like Washington could still sneak in the playoffs in the East.
1: Yeah. So it's not like they've they've been beating up on cupcakes. Yeah. And really what you know, I think what I think has kind of helped them turn it around, uh, if in fact they have been doing that is uh is is Harden. Uh he's putting up numbers pretty much in line with what he did last year. Um you know, I think a couple weeks ago when, when we talked about Houston in depth, uh, we looked at how he was really struggling at the rim compared to past seasons. But that's that's turned around to some degree. Um, and he's up to – he's shooting 63% at the rim this year. Um, and he's taking his normal ridiculous uh, degree of difficulty threes. And he's making them at a at a higher clip than he did in the past. He's up to 37% on threes. He'd been down – down in like the you know 35 percent range for low, for a, a couple of years, so that's that's helping them out. I mean, he's getting to the line ten times a game, shooting eighty five percent on free throws. Um, but I, I'm really interested to see what he does just against these this armada of long, athletic, and tenacious defenders that Houston can throw at them, or excuse me, that that Oklahoma City can throw at him, because um, you know Oklahoma City. Might be better equipped than any other team in the league to, you know, to deal with a, a an offense like Houston's that just tries to engineer switches and, uh, you know, exploit one-on-one matchups because there's no weak link in this starting lineup. I mean, even Stephen Adams is a capable switch defender. I mean, Russell Westbrook is probably the the, the weakest point there, uh, but he certainly tries really hard in on-ball defense situations so even calling him a weakness is uh, is a bit of a stretch so I-, I think this is I think this is gonna be a really interesting matchup I, what are you looking forward to about this one?
0: first of all anytime I get the chance to watch Steven Adams I'm pumped uh, he's honestly one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, I hope one day he becomes an all-star because I think he's deserving of it. I think it would be awesome to see hear, hear all of the quotes he would have on Media day. Um, and I just think that he is way more important, a part of the Thunder success, not just this year, but the past few years, than anyone can honestly give credit because as much as you can see it in in the stats, you see it more in just watching this team. Um, he's very adaptable. I mean, he's a huge center and he needs to be close to the paint, but at the same time, like he's shown to be effective playing around Russell Westbrook, which plenty of players have not shown to be. Um, So just to be able to do that period is uh, a mark of being adaptable, but especially not just being able to do it, but to do it to the degree where clearly you're one of the best players in your position in the league, which I think he is, um, shows even more how he's able to shine given the, the parameters that he's within. So really, like, I have plenty of points to make about this matchup, but I could not help myself but just to go into the Steven Adams pitch Maybe it's because Aquaman's coming out soon and he kind of looks like Jason Momoa. Whatever the reason is, that's it. Oh,
1: yeah, so much. (laughs) They're pretty much (laughs) doppelgangers. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, Beyond that, though, I'm interested to see Houston go up against... uh, You mentioned they haven't played slouches. They've played some decent teams. But OKC has been one of the toasts of the league so far. They're playing really well. They're 20-10. and They're, I believe, second in the West right now, if not. They are, yeah. yeah. Which... The West is full of really good teams um, who are all playing quite well for the most part. So, especially when OKC started, I believe, 0-4 to be there now. Um, that's freaking nuts. That tells you they've been playing really well for most of the season, especially since Russ came back. We could spend a lot of time talking about how Russ has taken away... His shots, while he's still not a very efficient scorer, he's taking less shots than he has in several years. And I think that's significant to Oklahoma City's success, the fact that he's handing it off to Paul George a lot more, and George is responding by having a career year by several measures. Um, Ultimately, I'm just excited to see two good teams go head-to-head, and I'm curious to see what Chris Paul brings to the table because in many ways he's kind of taking uh, that step towards regression that has been covered in several places and we've talked about a little bit because we talked about the Rockets a lot last time. Um, but he's taking fewer threes than he was last year. Um, he's making less. He's taking fewer free throws and making less. Um, he's perhaps just doing less. Um, and I don't know if if maybe that's just what it's going to be, period, or if uh, I guess he's taking technically exactly the same amount of three free throws he's still attempting 3.8 as it was last year so maybe that's incorrect for me to say but um i'm waiting to see if maybe he's just just you know pumping the gas before he full throttles into the season and he's trying to find a better way to get to the playoffs because i think that could be something that we're just not considering the fact that he's gotten injured in the playoffs so many times maybe he's just considering maybe there's a better way for me to get to game seven of the Western Conference Finals and play instead of watching my team miss a historic amount of three-pointers and lose you know is, is that am I crazy or like is that possibly something
1: I I hope that's what it is because yep. it would suck if if you know this is the if this is it for Chris Paul as you know a superstar level player um I am worried though um you know he's playing 34 minutes a game this year uh, which is pretty much in line with what he did last year yep When he was overworked to the point of blowing out his hamstring in the playoffs, Um, you know the whole the goal for the Rockets this year was to you know avoid putting Chris Paul in that scenario, you know so he could save it for the playoffs. And you know maybe he is he is doing that, and that's why we've seen this this decrease in production. Um, You know he's still only shooting forty one percent or forty two percent from the field. Um, You know I again I, I really hope that. You know he's just saving it so he can turn it up at some point, um, but you also have to consider that maybe he's not. Um, you know he is 33, and that's right around the age where point guards his size kind of start to lose it, and uh, it just it just sucks if that's if that's the case because uh, you know it's, it sucks for him because he was so close last year to to getting to the promised land, um, and it sucks for the Rockets because they signed him to this massive contract. Thinking that, you know, they probably think that they probably had you know one or two years left of superstar level Chris Paul before the contract turned into an albatross. Um, and if that's not the case, and if he's just if the decline is starting now instead of at age thirty four or thirty five, then the Rockets are dealing with you know four years of of the, you know one of the worst contracts in the NBA. Um, but yeah, it, I, I think it's still too early to, to write off Chris Paul. Like it's still too early to write off the Rockets. Um, you know, and they, cause at the end of the day, they have James Harden who is an MVP. Uh, you know, Eric Gordon has still, is still only shooting 30% from three. Um, I think it's conceivable that he could turn around at some point this season too. You know, that's just re- way below where he's been for his entire career up until this point. Um, and yeah, I just don't believe that Eric Gordon is only going to shoot thirty uh, percent for uh, from three for an entire season. Um, you know, Clint Capella has, I think, been having a down year. He hasn't been as effective defensively as he was last year. Um, you know, so I think I, I think all of these guys are performing worse than what they would expect it to be, based on what they've done in their careers. So the idea that that they could all turn it around is pretty, you know, pretty realistic in my opinion. Really, the only two guys on this team who have been playing to expectation have been PJ Tucker and, and Harden. Uh, you know, Tucker's been awesome. He's shooting 42% from three. Uh, Kurt Goldsberry had a cool graphic today yeah. on ESPN the where Tucker yeah. is 54% from the right corner. It's really ridiculous. Better than anyone else in the NBA yeah. from the right corner. Um, you know, so he's, he's been great, but again, he's playing 35 minutes a game. That's, that's the one, you know, as, as much as I think all of these guys from Houston can turn it around, the one thing that worries me is they still have absolutely no depth. Um, and their most important players are all playing a ton of minutes and I just don't know how long that can sustain if they want to make another deep playoff run.
0: No, it's it's worth asking because last year they had a bit more depth, and still it bit them in the ass when it came to the deep playoff rounds. Yeah, know, with less
1: depth, they really miss year. Ryan Anderson right now. Like I, I <laughs> shut up, really? Yeah, I mean he was he was really good for them in the regular season. I mean because he would be playing, he would just be playing regular minutes yep. and hitting threes, and you know he had stayed healthy, uh, relatively in his time in Houston. Um, You know, they basically brought in Mello to replace Anderson and Mellow's off the team now, Um, you know, and in Anderson's place, they're relying on Gary Clark and Daniel House and, you know, Michael Carter Williams, Isaiah Hardenstein, just, uh, you know, all these guys who aren't as good. And, you know, the two players who they got for, uh, you know, Ryan Anderson, Marquise Chris and Brandon Knight have have barely played. Um, So they basically traded a valuable regular season rotation player for you know and got nothing back
0: you think by now more than a third into the season that if you even remotely believed in marquise chris or brandon knight that they'd be getting at least 10 minutes a game at least eighth man minutes a game but they're not i mean they're barely playing and when they play they barely shoot they don't really do much um kind of sucks yeah. And They've combined
1: to play 79 minutes this season.
0: Jesus. I mean, yeah. is Marquise Chris, like, that washed? Like, are you kidding me? The dude is 21, and he really can't just show enough effort to just play, like, effort minutes for an athlete?
1: Yeah, I mean, he, that dude has a crazy vertical for a guy his size. You'd think that he could at least come in and catch lobs from two of the best passers in NBA history. Uh <laughs> But apparently not. And, and maybe part of it is, you know, Mike D'Antoni loves, you know, historically loves playing short rotations. But but I don't know, man. Um, you know, they just really like, <coughs> excuse me, like seven through 15 on this team is just not not good.
0: We'll see what changes. You know, we uh, January's coming up, and and already we've had some interesting trade situations in the league. But January's when things really start up. The gloves come off, so to speak. A lot of pieces start flying around. And Daryl's never never shy to change things up. No. Um, especially right now. I mean, the whole back half of the roster, you could move all those guys. And not only would Harden and Paul not blink, they probably wouldn't even notice. So... <laughs> I think you could do that and really show up with uh, some players that can actually contribute and not just be token pieces when you're either blowing a team out in a win or getting blown out, which right now the way the roster looks either are equal as likely, equally as likely. Um, With that said, with us just, just shitting on the back half of Houston's roster, uh,
1: who do you think wins this game? Uh, I think OKC. I think they're, uh, they're, they're deeper. Um, they just have athletes all over the court. Uh, they have solid defenders all over the court and they're, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, their, their defense, uh, you know, they're so, they're, they're deep enough that their defense doesn't really drop off. Uh, you know, when, when they go into their bench and when they're playing their backups. Um, and you know, I think, and that, that's where I think they have the big advantage over Houston is just in their depth, you know, have, the luxury of bringing Dennis Schroeder off the bench, uh, you know, having having guys like Alex Abrines who can hit shots, uh, you know Nerlens Noel, um, you know Hamadou Diallo. I mean, they're this 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 team is really stacked, and they're right about where we thought they would be coming into the season. I mean, they are just an absolute terror on defense. Um, you know, what, one last note on Houston. I wonder if you know with Cle- like when we talk, when we talk about them improving their team, I think it's going to be hard because there are so many teams in the West that are in it. There aren't going to be a lot of sellers at the trade deadline or a lot of teams that are looking to buy guys out um, because there are so many teams that think they can make a playoff push. Um, But I do wonder, uh, you know, Cleveland is completely out of it, obviously. And they have two guys on that roster, uh, two wings in David Nawaba and Jetty Osman, who I think could really help a lot of these teams in the West, a team team like uh, new Orleans that desperately needs a defensive forward or a team like Houston that just needs bodies. Um, so I think those two guys uh, are, I, I I'm really going to keep an eye on both of those guys in uh, you know, a, as the trade deadline comes up. Cause I think there, there are probably three or four teams in, you know, that kind of back half of the, you know, four through 14 in the West. Um, I, th- I think it could really help a lot of those teams.
0: Well, another team that I think needs to come up, because basically every team in the West except for Phoenix is, is trying to make the playoffs right now, is Sacramento. Um, they're above 500 further into the season than I can ever remember. And it's not entirely a fluke. They've got some wins against some legit opponents, and they also have some serious pieces in guys we talked about last time, De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Willie Colley Stein, et cetera, et cetera. And they're also literally the only team right now that has cap space. So they can take on some bad contracts that maybe nobody else is considering. They're probably going to be a piece that's looking for somebody in the wing range. They literally don't have a three. Right now they start Iman Shumpert, who some teams have started as a point guard in the past. But they start him as their three. Um, And this is something that came up on Ringer NBA Show with Kevin O'Connor and... uh, uh, Chris Vernon, I forgot his name for a second. Um, the fact that uh, with there being no three, with it being a team like Sacramento who hasn't been in this successful for so long, like they could get nervous about something like that. Like We don't have anybody traditionally who should play three minutes. Like Let's go get Otto Porter, somebody who could easily become a part of trade discussions as well but has a more difficult-to-trade contract well, Sacramento's a team that could take that contract on no problem because they literally have cap space that no other team can even sniff at. So not only with Otto Porter, but also with guys like Chetty, especially, Nuaba to a lesser degree, um, but both certainly. Uh, you can see something of a, a bidding war show up with the teams you mentioned and others. Um, And you can see different assets be at play. Sacramento being like, we'll take bad contracts on to get a guy that we would value. Um, Other teams being like, look, we'll trade value for value. We'll trade future picks for value. Um, But it's going to be unique with a team like Sacramento if they maintain this like 500 or slightly above pace. uh, Having that kind of wrench in the works where they're like, look, everybody else can throw you picks, but we... Can actually take bad contracts on, which nobody else can really do without matching them with bad contracts.
1: Yeah, I, I just hope they don't trade for Otto Porter, like thinking that he's actually an asset, and you know try to make a playoff push. Um, <laughs> they might yeah, do like, this fucking game. I'm terrified they would do something like that, uh, and just completely give give themselves a ceiling that uh, you know that that they wouldn't have if they if they didn't take on long term money like that. Um, but yeah, they're, I, I, I hope they play it smart because now that they're fun and they've got, you know, a guy as awesome as Darren Fox running the show, who's just turning into a legit star. Um, I, I just hope they don't ruin it.
0: By the way, he turned 21 today.
1: Wow. Well, happy birthday, Darren.
0: Go get wasted, buddy.
1: (laughs) I'm sure he never has before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's never, he's never had a beer. (laughs) <laughs> honestly maybe he hasn't i mean he's so good at basketball maybe he literally singularly was devoted to it in a way that neither of us could ever really comprehend um either way so you said okay see um i realized that it would make for a better podcast if i like vehemently disagreed with you and was like no houston um but i kind of think okay see we'll probably win this game too <laughs> maybe harden's like oh it's christmas maybe i can win the mvp again and he puts up like 60 and like like quadruple travels his way to like a corner three from the paint or something. But uh chances are OKC wins with depth. Uh I'm a hundred percent with you on that. <laughs> Regardless of what the podcast ratings tell me. So we're on to the next game. It's <laughs> a really good game. I'm really fucking excited for this game. It's five thirty PM Eastern time. Just to tell you what's going on in my world, uh I'm definitely cracking a beer by now because after five PM uh, you can do whatever the fuck you want, but I'm also probably, uh, squeezing in the, the girlfriend part of, of holidays because I'll go visit Ali's family, spend some time with them, uh, exchange presents and so forth. And, uh, we all usually gift pretty well, so that'll be fun as well, but that's my part of the day. I'll be on the road and the Christmas roads are delightfully empty, so I enjoy that as well. But T-Bone, what's happening for you at 3.30 Mountain Time on Christmas
1: Day? 3.30 Mountain Time, I'll probably be rolling back into into my house after having a nice Christmas brunch and uh, getting ready to sip on some whiskey.
0: As one does. And Philadelphia at Boston. Do you think this is the best game of Christmas Day, or am I just hopelessly Boston biased?
1: No, I, I think it is. I mean, you've got two of the top teams in the East and two two of the more compelling teams in the NBA um, just with, you know, the, you know, everything, everything that goes on around them, the, you know, the way they play, how good they are and um, you know, just the off court machinations um, you know, the idea that they're both trying to set themselves up uh, to be the NBA power for the foreseeable future. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, especially after the way the playoffs went last year, I, I love it. Anytime these teams play, I think it's going to be a really, really fun game.
0: Me too, man. Um, obviously we know the major players on Philadelphia. You've got Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler, uh, over on Boston. We've got Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum. Uh, And whatever third guy decides to step up for that particular game, (laughs) Al Horford, uh, Gordon Hayward sometimes, Jalen Brown even less sometimes, Marcus Morris a little more sometimes, uh, and Marcus Smart sometimes hits the most threes of anybody. So either way, uh, a lot of talent on either side. What matchups are you going to be looking for come this Tuesday?
1: The one for me is – well, I guess, kind of assuming that Al Horford uh, plays again, he, he did not play uh, on the Wednesday night game against Phoenix. Uh, but Horford versus Embiid is fascinating to me. And it's because, you know, last year, uh, you know, Embiid was absolutely unstoppable throughout the regular season and in the first round of the playoffs. And then Horford, despite giving up a lot of size and, and strength, uh, did a really good job of defending him in the second round of the playoffs, and uh, the way Horford plays offensively with his three-point shooting ability, with his ability to pick and pop, um, he's exactly the type of center that Joel Embiid has a lot of trouble guarding. Um, so it's just—it's just kind of—I I, just—I like that matchup because you know, and if the Sixers are going to be the team they think they can be, and and you know, that's a. a title contender and is going to have to find some way to at least contain those stretch bigs because, you know, un- unlike teams like, uh, you know, golden state or, or Cleveland Philly can't afford to go small because Embiid is their best player and it's not even close. They can't take him off the court. Um, you know, because he's getting stretched out and, uh, giving up pick and pop threes. So Embiid is going to have to find a way to handle those matchups. And, um, so, yeah, I, I love watching him play against guys like Horford because uh, I want to see if he's going to be able to do that.
0: Comparing the Christmas Day matchups, um, last year Horford played pretty shitty on Christmas. He had 12 points and 7 rebounds. Last year Embiid kicked the shit out of the Knicks. Um, it, to Horford's credit, he was playing Washington, which wasn't quite as dysfunctional as they are this year. Uh, Embiid had like 25 and 16 or something. Let me. Where's the exact date? Uh, yeah, 25 and 16. That is literally what he had. Um, but you can't just take the day and isolate it from the team. Um, I think that's the perfect matchup to highlight. Uh, the front is going to be a huge battle in this game, especially considering that Aaron Baines just broke his hand last night. He's going to be out for at least a month, and the four to six weeks timetable means he's probably out until... End of January, early February. So, not only are we looking at Al Al Horford playing presumably heavy minutes if he's good to go, uh, that means that we're throwing the rookie into the fray because the next guy after Horford with Baines out is Robert Williams, who played admirably against Anthony Davis about a week ago, even though Davis put up 40 points. Williams blocked him a couple times, which everybody was really excited about. But You know, I I don't just want to see you block somebody a couple times. I want to see you stop them from scoring 40 points. And if Embiid scores 40 (laughs) points against the Celtics, then the Sixers probably win. So, Williams probably ends up playing minutes on Tuesday. And if that's the case, then I want to see what he does to not just look good against Embiid, but to actually limit Embiid's effectiveness. Because in the paint, there's... A lot of damage Embiid can do, but the more he stretches out, the more it really challenges any defender who's trying to play against him, and Embiid can go all the way to the three-point arc, and even inside of there, he's a pretty effective... I can't say as much as effective, but he's willing to take long twos and make them, which a lot of bigs would never do. Embiid, call him shameless, call him whatever you want, he will take shots everywhere, and he will make them... Enough that it's worth taking them. So how Bob Williams follows him, not just in the paint, but all the way out to the arc and everywhere in between, I'm curious to see. I'm curious what Brad tells him to do. Will he follow him out that far? Will Brad want him to follow him out that far? Because Embiid at this point has no minutes restrictions. He's playing probably most of the game, and the Celtics are going to have to figure out how to match up with him. And I just want to see what Brad wants his bigs to do.
1: Yeah, and that's going to be really hard for for uh, the time lord or uh, you know Daniel Tice if if he gets the assignment at, at times yeah. too. And Tice has given them good minutes this year, um, but yeah, I mean Joel Embiid is seven foot, two hundred fifty pounds, and probably the most skilled seven foot, two hundred fifty pound player in the history of the NBA. Um, you know, it's he's just an absolute load, and it's going to be really. It's going to be really tough to ask a rookie to uh, to, to try to contain him, and uh, yeah, I, I like what you mentioned about his his jump shooting. You know, he hasn't been effective from three this year. He's only at twenty uh, eight or twenty seven percent, but it's he takes four a game, and I think just that willingness and, like you said, the shamelessness with which he takes those. He never hesitates. He has a fairly quick release, and he just you know he'll he'll get it off right off the catch. And I think there's a psychological effect of that where even if a guy it's kind of, it's kind of similar to to Marcus smart, where if a guy, even if he's not, even if he doesn't shoot a high percentage, the willingness to just take those shots with no conscience makes defenders think they need to close out on him. And Embiid has a really effective pump and drive game. So the fact that defenders do think they have to close out on him, uh, you know, just opens every, everything up for him. That much more, um, so yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see what he can do. Uh, you know, other other than that, um, Embiid's really the only. I think he's really the only area where I think Philly kind of has a matchup advantage against Boston. You know, you look up and down the rest of the, the rest of the roster, and there, there's a reason that Boston was able to, you know, win that series in, in five games, even though some of them were were pretty close last year. Um, you know, they they defend Ben Simmons I think probably better than any other team they just completely ignore him when he doesn't have the ball and even when he does they'll you know back off to a ridiculous degree and you know after making the trade for for Jimmy Butler even though Butler has been good for for Philly um you know Philly sacrificed a lot of depth and shooting when they made that move and I think that's something that Boston uh, you know, more than any other team really, you know, is going to be able to, to exploit, you know, they're third in defense and they, they just have a lot of, you know, quality defenders up and down their roster. Kind of the, the way we were talking about with, with OKC, just in, in a little bit different. It's not, it's not that they don't have the length and athleticism uh, of OKC, but they have two ridiculous energy guys in Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris. You know, Smart is probably the best guard defender in the NBA. Um, and everyone else on their team, you know, uh, Hayward is a physical defender. Uh, he's a smart defender. Horford is one of the smartest defenders in the game. Uh, you know, Tatum is, is a good defender. Brown is a tenacious defender. Uh, you know, even Irving, uh, can be effective when, when he gets up for it. So, and, uh, you know, this, this is the type of matchup where, where he, he probably will get up for it, you know? So, uh, I, lo- I like Boston in this game. I think Philly. I think Philly will need a monster game from Embiid to to pull this out. Yeah, I mean, it, when you look at the
0: position by position matchups, which you just kind of broke down, I think you're right. Um, Kyrie can feast on basically any guard they want to throw at him defensively, and when you look at how Boston on the whole defensively matches up against Philadelphia. It's strength on strength besides Embiid, um, as you just laid out quite well. Ultimately, um, if Smart just needs to spend the entire game chasing around J.J. Reddick every time he's in, then Boston can afford to just do that uh, because there's really no other guard-sized weapon that Philadelphia can throw at Boston that they should be that worried about. Lately, Furkan Korkmaz has been getting more minutes, and he's been putting up a lot of threes in those minutes over the last couple of weeks, basically since the Butler trade. But in that, he hasn't really shown himself to be some kind of weapon that any team should fear. He takes a lot of threes. He makes a decent rate of them, but it's not a backbreaking amount. For this season, he's still only taking three a game and making 32% overall, although I'm sure if you isolated his past 10 games, it might be a little higher. Either way... Um, Boston will commit to the fact that Ben Simmons is mainly a passer. Joel Embiid is a focal point. And from there, they are one of the top defenses in the league, and they can deal with whatever Philadelphia right now has to throw at them. So, yeah, I think it, it's probably not going to be that exciting of a, of a game, depending on how many offensive weapons Boston has ready to go. Um, if they're fully healthy besides Baines, I mean— Cool. We can see some some cool stuff happen, but they win games defensively, and uh, yeah, I can see Philly just taking a bunch of bad shots and not making enough of them.
1: Yeah, I, I I just think Boston is probably the worst possible matchup for Philly amongst these you know this top tier of Eastern Conference teams just just from the way they defend them and uh, you know just the personnel they have. You know, you talked about Philly's lack of spacing. Um, you know, Landry Shamit's up to forty two percent from three. Uh, So that's encouraging, Uh, you know, Wilson Chandler's hitting 39%, but he only takes three a game. He's, and he's not a guy who I think defenses really respect. He's kind of been a non-shooter going back to his Denver days. Um, So yeah, I, I, I think, like I said, this is, this is going to be one that Philly has to win on the back of Joel Embiid. And he's absolutely capable of doing that because he's freaking awesome. And he's playing at an MVP level this season. Um, but, uh, yeah, Boston is, I think they have the advantage here for sure.
0: And I mean, Shamit's worth mentioning, but like, there's just no lineup where if you have Shamit and Reddick on the court at the same time or, or Reddick and Korkmaz or Shamit and Korkmaz, I mean, the Celtics not only have the wing depth to defend them capably, but also they'll just take advantage of that mercilessly on offense. So whatever advantage they get by the three point shooting that Philadelphia gets offensively, they'll lose defensively. Because yeah, the exactly. Take advantage of it size wise. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, we, we've we seen him uh again. I'll mention that Kevin O'Connor wrote an article about him putting up Shaq like numbers. I mean, he's having a crazy good season for a center and there's no reason to believe that's going anywhere. He's probably going to have a really good game here as well. Um, I personally don't believe it's enough to to. Allow them to beat the Celtics, but the Celtics also lost to the Suns last night. So who knows what the fuck we're gonna get on Tuesday?
1: <laughs> the Suns, who have won, they're on their longest winning streak in in three years. They've won four in a row. <laughs> so good for them.
0: The the win streak Every, right now ever in Ever since league. Devin
1: Booker tweeted out that he loves Phoenix, which uh, <laughs> cool man. I he must he must really enjoy golf and uh, and airplanes melting on the tarmac wow
0: wow what do you have against
1: phoenix tommy is there something
0: more you need to tell us right now do we need to get into something
1: i just i, I just don't like places that are super hot i'm i'm a cold weather person i like you know occasional temperate weather you know 70s you know 80s is, is about as high as i can tolerate but a place that uh you know that hot is just is just not for me but if it's for devin booker then then good for him and, I just uh, I just want to remind you, know, you're oh, in a similar time zone, so, I
0: mean, you kind of live <laughs> there already.
1: Yeah, it's, it's getting there, man. It's been, I mean, we've had days on days of 50-plus degree weather here in, in Colorado, which is pretty unusual for, for this time of year.
0: Especially considering the last time we podcasted, you had gotten the day off early because it had been so cold. To, to make that jump back is uh, especially uh, odd.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been weird, but, but not unwelcome.
0: And, and if you want to make sure that win streaks mean anything, while Houston has a four-game win streak, the Brooklyn Nets have a seven-game win streak, and they re-signed Spencer Dinwiddie. Go Buffs. Um, so besides the Rockets, the best win streaks in the league are held by two of the teams that have the worst records over the past three years. So, interesting year, I guess. It is kind of fun that this year is a little more surprising than the last couple. Um, Golden State doesn't quite own the number one seed yet, and maybe they'll have to battle for it for most of the season. Um, But just the fact that they're not there, for me at least, kind of allows you to pay attention to more of the league in in a way that's a little different than the last couple of years. Um, Does that hold any significance for you? Not them not being in the one seed, especially considering the Nuggets are in the one seed right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for like the past two years, you know, where where last year it was it was Houston that was that came out and just dominated and uh, took control of the Western Conference from uh, you know pretty early on. Uh, It does make things more compelling um, because you automatically start to wonder if that team is a legitimate challenger to to Golden State and their their dominance in the West um especially this i mean last year you know houston had james harden an mvp candidate and they traded for chris paul so we knew we knew they were going to be awesome uh i mean i think a lot of people thought denver was going to be great this year too I, a lot of people picked them to make the playoffs certainly but uh, i don't know how many people saw them uh being the best team in the west um especially after you're know, not having made the playoffs since 2013 um but yeah, it, it it makes things much more interesting, uh, you know, especially with the way Denver's been able to do it uh, with how short-handed they are. It's it's really impressive for them to be racking up uh, the kind of wins, you know, beating Toronto, OKC, Memphis uh, when they're down three starters. It's 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 absurd, but they've been killing it.
0: Yeah, that is bizarre that they've been playing not the lineups you would think would, consi- would con- constitute would the best Denver Nuggets. But despite that, they still have some serious results. Um, yeah, and
1: you know this year the the Plumlee Jokic front court combination has been really effective. They've they've defended at a high level with, with those two guys out there, and uh, you know th- their defense it's. it's you know, it, it, it's really, it's held through, through 30 games of the season. And, you know, it, you saw it in that game against Toronto, um, you know, that they won a couple days ago where they had an off game offensively, but, you know, they held Toronto to 86 points and, uh, you know, that's not something they were able to do in years past is, you know, win when their offense wasn't clicking, um, but this year they found something and they've been able to sustain it with Paul Millsap off the court, um, You know, which makes all this even more impressive.
0: Yeah, it seems, you know, last year losing Millsap to so much of the year to injury caused them to stumble a bit to the expectations that we held them to. This year, they're ready for it, perhaps because of how much time they had to spend last year without him and returning largely the same roster. Uh, Those guys know what it's like to play without him on the court. And Jokic and Plumlee have played a bunch of minutes together already, so they know how to suit each other best, whereas uh, last year coming into the season, your ideal top roster has Plumlee far down the bench with uh, Jokic and Millsap playing a bunch of minutes together. This year you can still perform at a high level with Jokic and Plumlee, um, which is cool. And Wancho has been playing great as well. Uh, Yeah, he's been awesome.
1: Torrey Craig has provided really good energy. Monty yeah. Morris has been a revelation at backup point guard. Um, you know, yeah. but really it, it's, it's Jokic. And he seems like he's been in the best shape of his career. Um, and I think that's been a, a, as big a boon to Denver's defense as, as anything. Um, and he's been able to maintain this aggressive style of pick and roll defense. Um, you know, despite that, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't, if I were a coach, that's not the defense I would think to play uh for a center with a center with Jokic's physical tools. Um and clearly that's kind of what Mike Malone thought too, because for the past several years, you know, he'd been dropping Jokic back uh in pick and roll. This year he decided to to change it up and and it's worked. Uh yeah, I, I think you know, Jokic has gotten in better shape, but he's also I mean, he's he's long enough and he's smart enough to wear uh, he really can get up there and disrupt things. He can. He knows where you know the ball handler is going to be looking to pass. He knows where the roll man is going to be looking to go. And he's been able to you know get in passing lanes and, and muck things up. And uh, you know he's big and long enough to where when he hedges, he he can really deny a lot of passing angles to to the ball handler. So. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously the best defensive season of his career. And it's been, it makes me, you know, think, it's encouraging to me because it makes me think that maybe he could, you know, sustain this and, and improve upon it. Um, you know, whereas in years past, his, his defensive ability is, has been a question mark.
0: That's huge, man, to have him not be a defensive liability or even a defensive nothing but hold his own and then some. Um, because literally you look at it right now, he leads the team in points, assists, rebounds, and steals. I mean, he does everything. And yeah. to also be a plus for you on the defensive end, I mean, that's not just a best player on the team, that's best player on a possible NBA Finals team.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, Dan, Dan Devine of, of The Ringer wrote an article a couple days ago making in the MVP case for Nikola Jokic um and i yeah i think certainly this year he's absolutely an all-star i think absolutely all nba um it's yeah he's he's been fantastic uh i mean there's there's no there's no way around it i mean he's you know bill simmons just came out with his uh trade value column and he had jokic in the uh highest tier i think in the top 10 uh and rightfully so he's just absolutely been killing it he's
0: he's you know impossible to compare hard to describe he's one of a kind um and he's not even playing on christmas day um we have two more. <laughs> we have two more games to get to we've already surpassed an hour so let's try to slide these guys in here um according to espn this is the most expensive ticket of the matchup in terms of trying to get the lowest price uh it's los angeles at golden state the warriors host lebron and the lakers which still feels a little weird to say. But uh, what are you looking forward to with this matchup, Tommy?
1: Man, this is uh this this one's just going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to a high-paced game with a ton of points scored and just a lot of, you know, a lot of ridiculous offensive feats from LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, you know. I mean, this is this is awesome. This is LeBron James versus You know, his biggest rival of the past half decade. And it's, yeah, it's going to be really exciting.
0: Feels like a straight-up track meet for sure. A couple teams both trying to show off on national TV uh, the versatility they have and how many different ways they can score and, and bombing away, you know. I expect to see a lot of threes from Curry, a lot of threes from LeBron, and, you know, probably Clay and Durant as well. I just expect to see a high-scoring game. Um, This is probably going to be the game that is the closest to kind of an all-star game. Um, But at the same time, LeBron plays the Warriors every year on Christmas for what is at least the third, if not the fourth year in a row now. Um, He seems to take it seriously, and he wants to win. Uh, It doesn't always happen. There have been blowouts on either side in the past couple of years do you see this turning into a blowout or do you think this might be competitive?
1: No, I I think it's going to be a competitive game. Um, I I think this Lakers team is better equipped defensively to handle the Warriors than uh, you know, the, the Cavs teams of past years, just in terms of the just individual ability of guys like Josh Hart, KCP Ingram uh, you know, their length um, you know, of, of guys like that, of, Lonzo Ball, obviously, who's uh, a, a really, really good defender at the point guard position, and uh, you know, I, I think in, at at the back line too, Tyson Chandler, even though he's he's the backup, uh, is you know kind of really better than anyone the Cavs were were throwing out there in the past few years, and Javale McGee has also held up pretty well on that end too. So, yeah, I, I it's hard for me to see this one turning into a blowout, just especially because I mean the Lakers, I I, I think. Uh, when they're out and running, uh, and when they're really pushing the pace, they can score with, with just about anybody. And I think that the way both of these teams play is going to just kind of lend itself to a ton of possessions in this game. And, sure. and also, you know, this is LeBron James on Christmas against the Warriors, and I think this is the type of game that he's going you know, to give his all in. And uh, he doesn't do that in every regular season game, but when... He's going for it. Um, You know, his team can do anything.
0: Absolutely. Um, When he cares, his team cares. (laughs) That's (laughs) just LeBron. And it has been through three different franchises. Um, I didn't ask you this, but this will be at this point, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, I'll be hanging out with my extended family at my parents' house. We host our extended family every year. Probably eating some... Delicious mashed potatoes with prosciutto—it's my dad's secret recipe.
1: Ooh, and man!
0: Drinking. Um, what are you gonna be up to at 6 p.m. Mountain time? Probably, probably still drinking whiskey.
1: Yeah, still, still drinking whiskey. Having a nice <laughs> Christmas dinner. Um, see my girlfriend off to work. She unfortunately has to work Christmas night. Uh, she she got a job at a uh, food safety lab, uh, which is awesome, and it's uh, it's in her field. It's what she wants to do. Uh, it's really cool but uh, the one downside is that she has to work uh, 7 p.m to 7 a.m is her shift. So that's uh, you know small trade-off but she's doing what she loves and it's a really great job and a really great starting point for her career. So you uh, you know kind of taking what we can get.
0: Yeah man there's give and take everywhere. Um, I personally am going to not only work New Year's Eve through, midnight, um, for our, Ooh. for our beer hall holiday party. Uh, I'll also be working at noon the next day. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there till God like 2am <laughs> and then maybe I'll get drunk. Maybe I'll just pass out and then just wake up and go back to work. But, uh, we all have our trade-offs. So I, I feel her pain. Um, the working on Christmas day, you know, that's a, that's a very unique mindset. And I I can only imagine I've never had to do such a thing, but somebody has got to do it.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily she doesn't have to go in until late enough to where, you know, we'll get to do presents and and dinner and family and all that. Um, so it, you know, we'll still get to have our Christmas and that's, that's, what's
0: important. And that's awesome. Um, I mean, Lakers at Golden State, it, if it had come earlier in the day, if it had come earlier in the podcast, we, we could spend plenty of time talking about it. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it comes after we've already hit the hour point point when we start trying to wrap things up. So uh, if you had to pick one matchup you're excited to watch, one player-on-player matchup that you think is going to define Lakers at Warriors in some way, can you come up with it? Do you think there is one, for you at least?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be uh, LeBron versus Draymond. Um, you know, Draymond is going to be the man tasked with slowing LeBron down as he has so often, uh, you know, over the past uh, few years. I mean, and I guess it w- won't really be all Draymond given how often the Warriors switch. So maybe more accurately, it's LeBron versus whoever gets switched on to him. And uh, if that's anybody other than Draymond, uh, LeBron is is gonna get a lot of points and uh, even if it is Draymond he's probably gonna beast him too because he's LeBron James and that's what he does
0: I'm calling it right now JaVale McGee revenge game <laughs> I didn't even think of that he's putting up 30 and 20 look out
1: oh man he seems like way too chill of a guy to care about a oh revenge dude game.
0: he's literally who knows he's gonna catch the ball in the post He's going to, like, back somebody down, and the second he catches the ball, he's going to, like, turn around and dap him up. Like, yo, good to see you, bro. <laughs> like, instead of, like, putting a post-move on, he's going to be like, hey, how you doing? How's your family? Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it, he's not, like... Maybe, maybe he does put up 30 and 20, and I'll wish that I was a little more hard on this on this take. But, uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to see JaVale play against his former team when they basically resuscitated his career. Um, they did. Okay, now, I just referenced ESPN's lowest ticket price as $198 for that game. We're now going to move to the last game of the evening, which has the lowest ticket price. There are tickets available as low as $20 for the Portland Trailblazers at the Utah Jazz, which is uh, kind of funny (laughs) because you might laugh at me and I might uh, live to regret this forever, but I thought Mormons didn't celebrate holidays. Is that correct?
1: That's those are Jehovah's Witnesses oh, that themselves holidays. That's different? Mormon, more yes. Mormons do. So right. it it makes sense that there would not be a lot of people in Salt Lake City going to watch basketball on Christmas Day.
0: They're big on Jehovah? Yeah, they are. They it, uh But it's different yeah, than Mormons? What? Jehovah and Mormons, it's it's different?
1: Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses is a different religion from di- yeah, different <sighs> denomination from Mormons
0: they're big in Utah too, though.
1: I don't know. Um, I don't know. All I know is that Mormons do celebrate Christmas. Jehovah's witnesses do not, or they don't celebrate any holidays of any sort. Um,
0: well, pardon me for mixing the religions, but, uh, uh <laughs> either way, it's a pretty easy ticket. If you want to go watch the Utah Christmas game, uh, <laughs> playing against Portland, both teams in not too dissimilar positions, uh, in the standings right now, although Utah's gotten off to a real rough start, ultimately uh, we're looking at Portland in the five seed and Utah out of the playoffs, but only about three games apart. Portland's eighteen and thirteen, Utah's fifteen and seventeen. Uh, what do you think, T Bone? This could be a pretty good game, in my opinion. Do you, do you agree?
1: Yeah, I th- I think so too. I mean, these were you know two. You're looking at the. Uh, Third and fifth seed last year in the Western Conference, and uh, you know how high I was on Utah coming into this season. I was obviously wrong about that, but I still think there's room for them to to turn it around. And yeah, really, Portland is a really fun team for me to watch, just because I love Damian Lillard. He is absolutely one of my favorite players in the NBA, and he's he's another guy who is just capable of. of getting ridiculously hot at any moment um you know i was watching him play memphis last night dame didn't make a three in the first half then he came out and he hit four within the first four minutes of the third quarter and just took over the game in the blink of an eye uh so his his ability to do that is is just ridiculously entertaining um and it's you know you kind of have just a a a contrast you know just kind of a contrast in styles with the way uh you know, Portland loves to run their, their motion offense uh, and the jazz just love to muck everything up on defense. they love to get physical. Um, So I think that'll be a really interesting matchup. Um, And yeah, you know, maybe with Utah, we're just waiting to see if, you know, if uh, Donovan Mitchell can, can find his shot Uh, you know, if Joe Ingles can get back up to his, you know, 45% three point shooting where he's been. Uh, the past few years, uh, you know I, I still think there's a lot of room for them to to bounce back. What about you? What's what's exciting about this game for you?
0: You know, I really think that this is going to be the Myers Leonard game. I think. to... Wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that that's complete BS. Um, I. I uh, <laughs> ultimately i i want to see as always anytime i watch portland i want to see the backcourt take over the game um but i'm also looking for yusuf nurkic uh because i think that he is the guy who can take them to the next level if he wants to commit and get there uh so i want to see how he fares against utah's front court of rudy gobert pretty good big challenge and Derek favors who doesn't try as hard defensively but he's also a big body um is he up for the challenge? I guess him and Myers Leonard, but especially, uh, Yusuf Nurkic himself. Uh, perhaps I guess him and Zach Collins, who can stretch the floor a little more. Um, I I want to see those matchups in the front court more than I care about the back court, where there will be more excitement. Where obviously the attention is going to be drawn more towards because Lillard, McCollum, uh, Rubio, and Mitchell are going to be scoring. A lot of, if not most of, the points and handling the ball at all of the crucial moments. But I want to see how each team's front court responds because in certain matchups, they could be seen as weaknesses for uh, Portland, certainly. Utah, I guess you can say, Gobert's a strength. But I want to see how they match up against each other because uh, Nurkic doesn't have to be a liability for Portland. He just is more than he should be, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and, you know... Portland, there. I think they're still kind of integrating Mo Harkless back in. You know, he was yeah. injured at the end of last year and in the playoffs, uh, and then he missed some time at the beginning of this year. I think, you know, he he's one of those guys where, uh, you know, the stereotype of the box score doesn't tell the full story. I think applies to him. He's only averaging uh, five point three points and uh, three point four rebounds this season. Only shooting thirty three percent from three, which is you know a little below. Uh, where he's normally at but I think he's been playing well since he came back um, you know I think his like athletically he's looked uh, you know pretty good he had a nasty tip dunk last night against Memphis um, and and defensively I think he's he's looked really good this year um, you know for for Portland it's just they started off this year really hot when their bench was just destroying everything. And this year, they've been playing Lillard and McCollum together a lot uh, after years of of staggering them pretty heavily, Uh, and that was that was working fine earlier in the year. But then their bench shooting has really kind of kind of dropped off. You know, Nick Stauskas has stopped hitting every single three he took. Um, Seth Curry has played well; he's shooting almost fifty percent from three, but uh, he's he's only taking two a game. Um, And you know, Evan Turner is. You know their kind of experiment of him really running the point uh, with the second unit. It's you know it, it's it's still uneven. So uh, you know uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see how it how it works against Utah, who has really kind of struggled defensively this year uh, more than I think anyone thought they would. Um, but you know personnel wise, they still have the players on their you know on their second unit who you think you know would be able to uh would be able to contain some of these you know some of these guys in portland who started out so hot um you know but i don't know you you know with utah i think they're the type of team where you know we talked about how they like to get really physical on defense they were you know they they love to you know kind of grab cutters and, and and tag guys and try to muck up off ball movement um I think last year they would have been way more effective uh, against a team like Portland with with the way they like to play. But with the rule changes at of the offseason where the league is cracking down a lot more on, uh, you know, on that type of defensive physicality, I think that might have hurt Utah more than any other team. Uh, I think that might be one of the biggest reasons why they're down at uh, eighth in defense after being uh, number one last year. And, and for Utah, that's, you know, that, that's kind of the key for them. I mean, if their eighth in defense, isn't bad. um, But they, they, especially with Donovan Mitchell uh, you know, having this kind of prolonged shooting slump that he's in, they don't have the offensive firepower to be, uh, you know, that type of dominant team that people thought they could be if they're eighth in defense, Uh, you know, they have to be, the best defense in the league for them to reach their ceiling. And I just, I I wonder if, if those rule changes have, uh, you know, have, have affected them to to the degree where they just, they just haven't been able to adjust to this new, to this new NBA and their defense has suffered because of it. And and, and because of that, I think, you know, Portland's, I think Portland could have a really good offensive game just with how, how good CJ and, and Dame move off the ball. Um, and with, you know, guys like, you know, Nurkic is a really good passer for a big when Evan Turner plays with CJ and Dame, uh, you know, he's a really good passer and, you know, he's really good at finding those guys uh, off the ball. So I think Utah could have a hard time stopping that or if, you know, they could end up getting called for uh for a lot of fouls. So that's, I'm trying to look up what their foul rate is actually. They, uh, yeah, they they're they're about average in terms of uh, free throws allowed on defense. They're they're thirteenth in the league, um, which again for them is they were one of the best for years. They were one of the best teams in the league at defending without fouling. Um, so I, you know, that, that that makes me wonder if there is something to this whole, uh, you know, to these rule changes of really affecting them.
0: I mean, I'll tell you what, man, I buy all the way in because a team like that. It's really cool last year to have the story of Donovan Mitchell come in and be a focal point and be the guy who can lead you. But if your lead scorer and lead creator is a rookie guard, essentially being a point guard, you can call him a combo guard playing next to Rubio either way, um, then there's just not going to be that much intricacy and that many layers to your offense because somebody coming out of college, coming into the NBA, trying to figure out the speed of the NBA game, they're not going to make those next level passes that veterans make. So now you are a year further into his development, and maybe he's trying to develop more, but it's not going to be there overnight. And that's where if a subtle change, like you mentioned, with the defensive rules comes into play, and all of a sudden you're not the best defense in the league, you're just in that second tier maybe still near the top but you're just not the best defense in the league well that's going to lose you some games you won last year by five or six points now you're losing by one or two points because you didn't get quite as many stops as you got last year Um, that argument that's how that plays out in my mind Um, at least maybe you know i'm i'm taking way too much stock in all of it but at the end of the day Mitchell is still your top creator of of points uh Rubio has always been and will always be a really good assist man finding good passes for guys but that doesn't create points that creates opportunities Mitchell is the guy who leads the team in points by a lot he scores 21 points a game the next closest is Gobert scoring 14 and a half so He gets the most buckets, period, for the team. Everybody else, either Gobert cleans things up at the rim or everybody else gets opportunities. Um, So if that's the kind of guy who's making those shots for you, you need your defense to be perfect or as close as it possibly can be. When it takes a little step further away, now instead of fighting for a home court advantage, you're fighting for the playoffs. Um, And maybe we could see that really be the defining factor of this game against Portland because... Um, it's a team that'll take every advantage it can get under a coach like Terry Stotts.
1: Yeah, yeah, it will. And you know, Utah—they just—you know—they haven't been good at the—you mar- know—some of the marginal things that they really succeeded at last year. Um, you know, you look at—you uh, know, Joe Joe Ingles is down uh, six percentage points uh, in three point shooting from where he was a year ago. Uh, I mean, that's—he's shooting thirty eight percent. That's still good, but. I mean, he was was at 44%, uh, you know, for the last couple of years. That's, you know, that's really big. Uh, That's a huge drop-off for them. Um, You know, and and again, Portland, they're not, you know, they're not defending uh, as well as they were last year. They're down to to 17th after having a a pretty good defensive season last year. Uh, But they still at least play the math correctly, and they still – you know, allow mid Rangers and they try to take away threes and and shots at the rim. Um, And I think Utah can kind of play into, into Portland's hands a little bit. Um, I think Donovan Mitchell this year is a guy who is, you know, I think his shot selection has regressed a little bit. And I think, you know, if he could, I think he, he could kind of get baited into taking a lot of those mid Rangers that Portland likes to allow. And if he gets hot, then that's, you know, then he could have a big game. Um, but he's, he's struggled a little bit with that this year and trying to find that balance between, uh, distributing and, and getting his own shots. So, you know, with, with the way Portland plays, um, you know, especially with, uh, you know, just the way they, they're, they just dropped Nurkic so far back to the rim. And, uh, you know, I think a a guy like Mitchell could get invited into into taking a lot of those kind of, kind of bad mid-rangers off the dribble and that's exactly what Portland wants.
0: It's something you can imagine Portland making a focal point where you see Mitchell take a lot of shots, potentially score a good amount of points, but still you find Utah trying to climb into the game, trying to stay competitive, where Portland has so many more options that uh, they can throw it at Utah, who still has a great defense but may not have as many answers for. One more thing I think is just worth noting is that Utah is still trying to transition from Uh, the Alex Burks the Alec Burks minutes to the Kyle Korver minutes where sure you're getting more three-point shooting but it it comes at the expense of a guy who's 10 years older and not nearly as athletic period even if he's you know Burks wasn't that great defensively but Kyle Korver's a, a definite net negative defensively
1: yeah and uh and Burks you know he he gave them some good shot creation uh he's Really good with the ball in his hands. He, you know, he's pretty good at, at blowing by his man and getting to the rim. Um, and he was—he's obviously not a corver level shooter, but he's still a good shooter. Um, so yeah, I think Corver might fit in better with Utah's system, just since they do like to share the ball so much and move—you know, move bodies and and really have a lot of guys touch the ball on a given possession. Um, but yeah, it, it it has been been an adjustment and. You know the individual shot creation is their biggest weakness, I would say, and that's probably Burke's biggest strength. Obviously, he wasn't uh, good enough at that for them to, you know, value him more than having the shooting of a guy like Kyle Korver. Um, but still, they haven't really addressed they haven't really addressed that. And uh, yeah, I think they're kind of hoping that Mitchell can get back to to what he was last year when he was a, a really good uh, individual shot creator. And this year it just, just hasn't been there. You know, he's down to 50% true shooting after he was at 54% a year ago. And, uh, you know, a lot of that has been his three pointer. It just hasn't, it just hasn't been there the way it was, you know, 20, 29% after 34% a year ago. Um, you know, he takes a lot of really tough shots. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't think this is where he's going to be, uh, for the rest of his career or even the rest of this season. But, um, but he he has got to find a balance because like you know like I said the shot selection has has clearly regressed and uh, I, I don't I don't think this is you know I it, I'm not giving up on Donovan Mitchell I'm not souring on him I don't think he uh, is a worse player than he was a year ago I think he's just kind of struggling to adjust to uh, you know an NBA in which you know smart defenses and smart defenders have adjusted to him a little bit. But I, I, I think he'll. I think he'll get there, e- even this season. But uh, and, and last year too. I mean, he uh, started off pretty slowly, and he didn't really, uh, you know, play his way into the rookie of the year conversation until you know later in the year when the Jazz really turned it up. Um, and they've faced a murderous schedule this year so far. Um, they've. I'm looking at it right now. They've only they've played 20 road games and 12 home games. So. You know, there there are some things that would indicate uh, they could turn this around. You know, with everything else we've talked about, the the poor shooting from Engels and and Mitchell, and you know, any you know, integrating Corver even further. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a disappointing year, and I've eaten a a big helping of crow <laughs> over this team that I thought was going to win sixty games.
0: I mean, I think that schedule tells you a lot. They're going to spend a lot more time shooting on their home rims, uh, and that's going to help a fair amount getting those guys back to the numbers they were looking at last year. Also, just in general, um, when someone like Mitchell has such a strong rookie year and they're really motivated to come out and have, a great year the following year. I'm sure he's trying to add a lot of stuff to his game that doesn't come that easily, and he's probably forcing some things that he didn't do last year that uh, not only come unnaturally to him, but show and come at lower percentages, be it <coughs> shots, be it passes, be it, you know, what have you. Literally just just uh, looks, literally just trying to get more into the pick-and-roll trying to play off screens more, things like that, Um, which I don't honestly have any stats for, but just having seen enough guys go from their rookie year to their sophomore year and try to improve on things they were bad at, that means trying things they were bad at more. That means not necessarily seeing improvement, but uh, it's there. It's just not in the statistics.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I just pulled up his uh, shooting profile from – on b-ball reference he's taking uh fewer shots at the rim more he's at last year he took 26 percent of his shots at the rim uh he's down to 19 percent this year hmm. um he's up to let me see uh basically 34 percent of his uh or really yeah 40 percent excuse me yeah 40 percent of his shots come from the mid-range um which is also up from last year uh he's down to 36% of his shots from three from 40% last year. Um, And again, yeah, the, the, the jump shot just hasn't been falling. Um, And he takes, uh, he's taking a lot more of his threes off the dribble Uh, last year. uh, 60 uh, or excuse me, 35% of his his threes off the dribble this year, uh, 48% off the dribble. So he's been doing a lot more by himself. Um, But, you know Mitchell was a guy where he made a lot of really obvious improvements in his game. Uh, you know he added skills in his game. You know as a finisher, uh, you know as a ball handler, just from his last year of college to his rookie year in the NBA, he he improved a lot really quickly. So for me, it stands to reason that you know that he he's going to get better. He's going to get back to to where he was, and that I think he'll I think he'll improve off that rookie season. I mean that's not going to be the best donovan mitchell ever plays in the nba um and I, I i think he's just in a in a prolonged slump right now which you know tend, tends to happen um you know we were, uh you know jason tatum was kind of in a less pronounced version of this earlier this year too and he was taking a ridiculous amount of of long twos and he seems to have come out of that um a little bit but you know i think w- when young guys come into the nba especially when they you know play as well as early as, as a guy like Jonathan Mitchell did, we tend to think that their career is just going to be this like linear path of improvement when that's really not how it works. Yeah. You know, there's, there's peaks and valleys along the way. And I think for a guy like Mitchell, who's really talented and who is a demonstrable hard worker, you know, it's going to trend upward, but it's not just going to be a steady, you know, it's, it's not just going to be a, a steady upward trend. They're going to be, there are going to be slumps and then he's going to bounce back and, and then he might slump again. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think he's going to be okay.
0: I think, and hope you're right. And also I think if you look at the the path that Utah has taken so far this season, it kind of makes sense that even though him taking a lot of shots in the mid range sounds dumb and counterintuitive if they've been struggling to get out to the same kind of start and performance they had last year then he'd be trying to force the argument a little bit more take on a little bit more of a burden thus taking harder shots which at this point everybody in the NBA knows the stupidest and hardest shots you can take are in the mid-range when they're not that much harder or easier than a three-point shot but they're worth less worth less points so him taking a bunch of mid-range shots. Hopefully it doesn't become a long-standing habit just like as you mentioned Jason Tatum, we don't want to see that long-term either. But uh yeah, it's a it it, it it's not just all good. It takes a while and teams figure you out and you got to change your game to adjust and you also got to figure out the right way to play to become the best version of yourself and that doesn't happen overnight and there's some growing pains associated with it. So we're yeah. seeing
1: that now, and Mitchell this year still has a positive net rating too, the, or at least the Jazz still have a positive net rating when he's on the floor. It's it's not, you know, he was plus six point nine last year, plus two point three this year, but you know, it's not it's not like he's single handedly sinking this team. There's there's a lot that's going into their their struggles that you know we we've we've talked about at length.
0: For sure. Um, all right, Tommy, wrapping this up because we're already at ninety minutes. Um, you personally. You're going to wrap your Christmas night up. What's it look like,
1: man? Once we've, uh, once we finished our, our bottle of craft whiskey, I don't probably gonna break out the, I don't know. I could see us breaking out the poker chips. That's, uh, you know, we're going to have some, some friends in from, from out of town who we haven't seen in a while. And that's, that's kind of one of our go tos when, when our group is together, we, we love playing some Texas Hold'em, And, uh, Last time we played, I walked away with $50. So, we'll see. We'll see how things hold, but my game uh my game deteriorates significantly when I've had some liquor. <laughs> so <laughs> so we'll see.
0: <laughs> that we shall. Um personally, I'll probably just help put my uh niece and nephew to bed and then probably have a nightcap or so. I Bought not as a Christmas present for anyone, but just as one for myself and my older brother, uh, a PlayStation Classic. They copied the Nintendo nice. and Super Nintendo idea and made a PlayStation version, um, which like I've heard it, it actually has gotten not that great reviews, but it's got some fun games like Twisted Metal and Grand Theft Auto to like waste some time on. So I wouldn't be surprised if we crack a couple. You know, bottles of some pretty high ABV beer and just sit back and and enjoy that. Um, but overall, I, I had some point I wanted to bring up, but I, I can't remember it. But what I, what I, (laughs) what I do remember is I wanted to thank everybody who's listened for now an hour and a half to listening to our podcast and, uh, for listening, I guess, all year because if you've listened this far, it's definitely not the first one you've listened to. But, uh, whether you like it or not, we're going to come back in 2019 and we get a lot more NBA to cover. Uh, Tommy, any any last notes for really uh, uh, not just the pod, but the year at large?
1: No, just echoing everything you said, thanks to everybody who's, who's put up with the, our, our ramblings about <laughs> this league that we all love. Yep. Uh, and, yeah, have a Merry Christmas or a Happy Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or – None of the above. If you don't celebrate any of those, just have a you know, h- happy time in general. And thanks for listening.
0: Yeah, honestly and sincerely, thank you, everybody, for listening. Enjoy the holiday season. We'll be back. We'll have more steaming hot NBA takes or just fact-based NBA observations. Whatever it may be. Uh, we'll be back. So thank you. Uh, and we will catch up with you all soon. Goodbye.